If this article stands, the church stands. If this article collapses, the church collapses. Martin Luther, talking about the article of the faith, the teaching of justification by faith alone. If we lose justification by faith alone, we lose the gospel. And that's what's under assault. As these men have come from Jerusalem, have come in and, and start bringing, trying to bring the people back under the law, as the covenant of works, if you prefer that language, for justification to be made right with God. Sure, there's some things Jesus did, but there's also some things you must do. That's kind of what they're teaching. And they're coming in and saying that Gentiles, to be converted and to be saved, have to be made Jews. They have to be full Jews. Justification by faith alone, according to Luther, and I think he's right, is the article by which the church stands or falls. And this has been not, this, though it was settled in Jerusalem for the early church, this issue has been raging since. The gospel is always under attack. There's always attempts to pollute the gospel with something that we do. Circumcision here. Baptism in a lot of places. Justifying. Works. Great faith plus works equals justification. There's all sorts of pollution that is attempted, but we know that God preserves His gospel. God protects His gospel. He will see that His gospel gets to every one of His people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, in every language, but He works through means. And the, the means that we have before us is the church fighting for the gospel we talked about last week. Discussing, debating, preserving the gospel for those who will come later. We are saved, and when they're talking about saved in verse 1, think justification. You remember when we talk about salvation, we said it can mean a, a lot different things. Sometimes when the word saved is used, it means justification. When we come to faith and are declared righteous by God on the basis of His Son and His righteousness imputed to us. That's what a lot of us talk about when we say we got saved in the South. <laughs> We're talking about that time. We forget, you know, about justification. But the word, you have been saved. You are being saved. Sometimes that word saved is talking about our sanctification or our growth in grace. Sometimes it's talking about glorification of when God finishes the work. But the assault here is on justification. The assault here is on how are we made right with God. What must I do to be saved? The Philippian jailer would say later. And Paul didn't say be circumcised. He said believe, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are saved or justified by grace. Very important word. Alone. Through faith. Alone. In Christ alone and only justification by faith alone puts all hope in Jesus sola fide is just simply justification by faith alone fide being faith sola being alone one of the cries of the reformation so this is what is being debated by the council are Gentiles justified by faith alone or by faith plus works here circumcision do Gentiles, which are non-Jews, have to be circumcised 
and have faith to be justified, to be made right with God? Or are they justified by faith alone? Do they have to become Jews to become Christians? And we talked about that a little last week, and we talked about the necessity to fight for the gospel. And so I'll leave a lot of that. I'll let you go back and listen to what, what was said last week. But the crucial question here is what makes us acceptable to God? What is it that makes us acceptable to God? How can I know for sure that I have eternal life? And I'm telling you, if any bit of that depends on you, you cannot know for sure. Praise God, it does not. It all depends on Jesus. Christ and Christ alone makes us acceptable to God. It's a very important discussion. It's very relevant for us today. And as we said, uh, the, the first missionary journey had been completed. Brothers were coming in, or people were coming in, whom Paul in Galatians would call false brethren. They are some true brethren in Jerusalem who hold these opinions, as we see. And they're seeking to pollute the gospel, and the church is fighting for the gospel. And today, as we see what the council decides, we will see that their main point, there is only one gospel for, folk, for both Jew and Gentile. Everyone is justified by faith alone. That doesn't mean everyone in the world is saved. That means the only way to be made right with God is by faith alone in Jesus. For Jew and Gentile both need salvation. Read Romans. There's only one gospel for both Jew and Gentile, and it, it, it is that everyone, the conclusion is that everyone, Jew and Gentile, is, is justified by faith alone. So first, look at the gospel debated. We've seen the debate start in, in Antioch of Syria. We've seen Paul and others sent to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders. Very big point, the apostles are still living. <laughs> the twelve, yeah, minus Judas, add Matthias, add Paul. And so they're going to the apostles and to the church in Jerusalem. They're going to put this before the church. And the church is growing, but this is still the sort of the main hub of the church. And they're putting this question before the church. Are these brothers right? Do Gentiles have to be circumcised to be saved? Or are Paul and Barnabas right? That Jew and Gentile is justified by faith alone. So the gospel is debated by the church. Verse 6, look at verse 6. It, it, this wasn't a quick fix. It says the apostles and elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, after there had been a lot of debate, a lot of discussion, probably, I'm sure, probably mostly respectful, like you see Peter stand up and say, fathers and brothers, or brothers, I appeal to you, isn't, and maybe some of them were bringing Genesis 17 forward and the, the covenant of circumcision, and how can that be not be still be true, and others were responding in the midst of the debate. So the debate had gone on for a long time. Interested in Genesis 17, go back to last week's sermon, talk some about that. So, the leadership's gathered. They're debating the issue. How are Gentiles made right with God? Do they have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses in order to be justified? That's the question. And now look, Peter speaks. After much debate, there's some patience going on in Peter. That's unusual, isn't it? Peter's not usually very patient. He's usually the first one to talk. 
or has been anyway. Peter's growing in grace. Praise God. There's hope for all of us, right? After there had been much debate, verse 7, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, us, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. What's he talking about? He's talking about Cornelius and his household. And if you remember Peter's visions and his refusal to eat anything unclean and God saying, what I have made clean, do not call unclean. The, the, the emissaries from Cornelius come. The angel has told Cornelius to send for Simon Peter to bring him because he's going to bring the gospel to them that by the message they will be saved. And so Peter gets the visit. He goes with them. Uh, I'm just skipping over a lot. You can go back and listen to the, to the sermons from that section. But he goes with them and he preaches the gospel to a God-fearer and his household. Now, he wasn't a full proselyte. Cornelius had not been circumcised. Important point. But he was a God-fearer. He sort of adopted the Jewish God and the Jewish ways without going all the way to become a proselyte or to be circumcised. But Peter goes and Peter preaches the gospel to Cornelius and his household, and while he is preaching, the Holy Spirit falls upon them. And it's obvious that they have received the Spirit. Now, if it's obvious they've received the Spirit, what has happened? If the Spirit is indwelling them, they have been cleansed. They have been made right with God. They have been declared righteous. They've been accepted in Christ. Because Peter was preaching the gospel and preaching Jesus to them in his death, burial, and resurrection. And listen, he was preaching forgiveness to them as a free gift. And as he's preaching, they believe and they receive the Spirit. They were saved. They were justified as he was preaching. And it was obvious to all there. And so Peter, as he reported about that later in, in Acts chapter 11, we see him report because there were others who were concerned. They were Jewish believers who were concerned that he went into the house of a Gentile. So he has to straighten all that out and show them what God is doing and how things are transitioning. But in Acts 11, 15 to 17, he says, he's reporting what happened. He says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If, now watch his conclusion, if then God gave the same gift to them as He gave to us, them being Gentiles, us being Jews. If God then gave the same gift to them as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? So He baptized them. They baptized them because they had come to faith. Not in order to save them, Baptism didn't cleanse them. It's a visible sign of a spiritual reality that they had come to union with Christ through faith, had been united to Him in His death, burial, and resurrection, had been cleansed and forgiven of all of their sins, and they had never, ever, ever been circumcised. So Peter says, this is what happened in my experience. Yes, I believe what Paul and Barnabas are teaching, but it, what my experience seems to have confirmed that, that the Gentiles received the Spirit when the Gospel was presented. They were accepted and cleansed without circumcision or any other work. And then as, since they were believers, then we baptized them. 
You can go back again to chapter 10 and 11. But they were baptized after believing, not before. They were already cleansed when they were baptized, forgiven, saved. There was no salvation through that work, that sign of, of the covenant either. So we're not saved by baptism either. And there's a lot of confusion about that. In our day, that's a lot of the attack. Baptismal regeneration and things like that. But it's all chipping away at the gospel. It's seeking to take away faith alone. Sola fide. You may be familiar with New Perspective on Paul. That's the same kind of thing. It's trying to chip away at the gospel. To have my works in some place, some role in my justification. When we have to do, redefine justification and all other things. But the, Peter is saying, look what happened. I preached the gospel. They believed. They received the Spirit. They were cleansed. They were saved. Paul and Barnabas are right. And Peter goes on to say more in 9 to 11. He, he says, And he made no distinction between us and them, between Jew and Gentile, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, he asks a question. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on their neck? On the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. Why are you doing this? You know good and well that we have never been able to fulfill the law and keep the law. You know that we, none of us has ever been able to keep the law and be justified on the basis of our works. So why are you trying to put that on them? Because as Paul explains in Galatians, if you go under one part of the law, you are under obligation to keep it all. If you go under the law for your justification, if you're trying to work out your, you know, your acceptance with God on the basis of what you do, if you're trying to be saved by keeping the law, you can't just cherry pick. You have to keep it all. If you're going to be good enough to be saved on the basis of what you do, you're going to have to be perfect. God doesn't grade on the curve. You're not good enough to be accepted by God. You need Jesus for forgiveness and cleansing and righteousness. When we come to faith in Jesus, it's a work of God's grace. He draws us into faith. When we trust by God's grace in His Son, we are united to Him in His death, burial, and resurrection. We are, we, are, we are justified on the basis of Christ's righteousness which is imputed to us. We're forgiven and we're given Christ's righteousness so that God can say, righteous, my child, adopt us into His family. If you will be saved, it will be on the basis of Jesus and not you. Please hear me. Some of, some of us were raised in church and we've been going to Sunday school and we've been reading our Bible and we've been thinking we're better than others and we've been thinking we're okay and we're not. All of our righteousness outside of Jesus is filthy rags. It's unacceptable to God because it's tainted with sin. What was Paul's conclusion in Romans? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All there being Jew and Gentile. The whole world. You're not an exception to that. Don't compare yourself with other people. Well, I'm more righteous than him or I'm better than her or I... Because that's, that's not the test. That's not the judgment. We'll be judged on the basis of His law. And we've not made it past the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. We're born with other gods. Who are they? 
Well, primarily ourselves. You shall worship me the way I say. You shall honor my name and not blaspheme it. You shall keep my day. You shall not murder, commit adultery, steal, honor your parents. Don't covet. None of us has kept one of those in thought, word, and deed. We must be saved by Christ or we will not be saved. And Peter is saying, you know this. You know this. So why are you placing a yoke on those who are turning to Christ? Yoke representing law, law for justification. Sure, God's commandments show us how to live a life that pleases Him, but that's our, our acceptance with Him is not based on any of our doing that. When we come to Christ, our heart is tuned towards that and we grow in it. But in order to be accepted, we receive the free gift or we don't have it. It's not a mixture of what you do and what Christ did. It's Christ and Christ alone. It's faith alone. It's trusting in Jesus alone. For God so loved the world. Kids, you know this verse. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever does the best they can and trusts Jesus will have eternal life. Is that what that says? Not in my Bible. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him. What does that mean? Whosoever trusts in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Shall be forgiven, cleansed, filled, made God's child. Peter's saying, you know good and well, you're not saved this way. You know we couldn't keep the law to be accepted by God. Why are you putting this, this burden on those who are turning to Christ and polluting the gospel? Because he clarifies, look in verse 11. But we, we who? Jews. We believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they Gentiles will. We believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus alone just as they will. Even the faith that God requires, He gives. Peter's saying it's grace. Paul agrees. In Romans, he wrote this in chapter 4. Please read Romans. Please. Romans 4, 14 to 16. There's so much more I could read there, but I'll trust you to go back and read it. For if it, if it is the adherents to the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath. Why? Because all sin and deserve it. But where there's no law, there's no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all His offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Not only to the Jew, but to the Gentile. One gospel for everyone that we have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that to be forgiven we must return from our sin and trust in Jesus. And receive Him as our salvation. Trusting Christ by grace alone. Through faith alone. In Christ alone. To the glory of God alone. Revealed in Scripture alone. There you go. Five solas of the Reformation. That's what Peter's saying. Salvation is by grace alone. In Christ alone. That's how Jews are saved. And that's how Gentiles are saved. And interestingly, this is the last time we see Peter in Acts. This is the last thing he says in Acts. Isn't that cool? Focus turns to, to Paul and the gospel. 
And then Paul and Barnabas speak. Look what it says in verse 12. And the assembly fell silent. They didn't have anything else to say. They couldn't refute what Peter was saying. They're starting to see the truth of the gospel and grace alone. It's justification by faith alone. It says, And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Again, Barnabas and Paul are telling them as the, of the, the reporting to them the first missionary journey and everything God had done and all the Gentiles He had brought to Himself. And there's an important point there when it talks about signs and wonders. Signs and wonders are being done among the Gentiles. God is giving His stamp of approval. He's showing that this is a gospel work of His and that He is bringing the Gentiles to faith. Just like He did in the Jews. And so they're, wow, if God is performing miracles among the Gentiles, this, this really must be true. So Paul and Barnabas report, they are growing silent. They are marveling at God's grace among the Gentiles. And it says in verse 13, after they had finished speaking. Now point two, gospel defended by the church. James is going to take them to Scripture. What settles every controversy in the church? Scripture. The sufficiency of Scripture, Scripture alone. This is our only rule of faith and practice. It's not men's ideas. It's Scripture that answers Every controversy. So they fell silent after listening to Paul and Barnabas. They'd finished speaking. James replies. Notice again the courtesy. Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, he uses his Jewish name. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And really what James is saying, and this shouldn't surprise us. Because watch what he says. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. Now notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't identify a singular prophet. He said, listen, all of the prophets say this. This agrees with all of the prophets, and this is just a couple of examples. That's why he doesn't say Amos says. The prophet Amos, or there's a little bit of Isaiah mixed in here. He said, this is in accord for what the Bible has always said ever since Abraham when he said you'll be a blessing to every family in the earth. Why? Because the gospel is going to go through you. Messiah comes and out to the Gentiles. Every tribe, tongue, and nation. James is saying, brothers, look at your Bible. A lot of discussion going on here. And, and we've, we've looked at some of it. But look at what the prophets say. This is not a surprise that God is expanding out into the Gentiles. That the gospel is for Jew and Gentile. That Jew and Gentile are lost and need a Savior and there's one gospel for them and it's, it's Christ. Watch what he says. He's quoting from Amos and Isaiah. He's summarizing what the prophets teach. After this, I will return, God speaking, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. That, here's purpose. Anytime you see so that and order that, that telling you why, Right? That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and that all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. God has been telling us that He's going to rebuild the tent of David that has fallen, that He's going to rebuild its ruins. And when He does, then this Gospel is going to go out and the remnant of mankind is going to seek Him and a lot of Gentiles are going to be coming in and we shouldn't be surprised by that. 
Look what the prophets say. Ten of David there. Restoration of the Davidic dynasty. God promised David, 2 Samuel 7, if you want to go read about it, that he would always have a son on the throne of Israel. And that that was pointing to its fulfillment in through those, those intermediate sons who reigned on the throne, pointing through them to the fulfillment in Christ, the son of David who would reign on the throne. That the tent of David would be restored. What is the, he's reigning over Israel. What did Jesus say before He ascended? All authority in heaven and on earth is mine now. What is that saying? Someday I'm going to be king? Hmm. I'm king now. Now take this gospel to the ends of the earth. Don't just stop with the Jew. Jew first, yes, but to the ends of the earth. So the Davidic dynasty as it was predicted in Amos, the restoration has occurred because we're seeing the remnant of mankind by His grace seek the Lord. And the prophets have foretold it. It's in accord with Scripture. When we take all of Scripture, the full counsel of God that they had that day and what we do same, right? We see that this is true. This is the truth. This is what we should have expected. And so they reach a decision. Now, James says on the basis of Scripture, and I'm sure we have a summary of the, of the discussion, right? And that mean we have every word that was said. But James says in verse 19, Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those Gentiles who turn to God. Don't trouble them. We should not trouble them with this requirement of circumcision because circumcision has been fulfilled. Circumcision is no longer required. Circumcision has been done away. Gentiles do not have to be circumcised because it's fulfilled in Christ. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant in the flesh. That through procreation, the need would come and be fulfilled in Christ. So it was both an oath and a, it's a vow and it's a curse. Go back and read Genesis 17. It was a vow to walk before God and be blameless. Since you're in the covenant people, that vow was taken. And the cutting off, and listen, I'm not going to explain this fully. Y'all can talk to your children at home. The cutting off represented a vow. May I be cut off if I do not live in accord with your commandments. It represented cleansing. Cleansing of the heart. Like in, in Deuteronomy 30 where, where God says circumcise your hearts. It also represented cutting off. And for us to be cleansed, somebody's got to be cut off. Because Jew and Gentile alike have, have not kept God's command, have not walked before Him and been blameless, and therefore have inherited the curse of the law, which is separation from God, wrath, hell if you want to put it that way. So in order for us to be cleansed, somebody had to be cut off. And somebody had to represent us. And that was Christ. Look in Colossians 2. Talking about Jesus. And there's this Jewish 
sort of ascetic perversion going on in Colossae that Paul's addressing. But he says this in the midst of that discussion. In Colossians 2, 9, uh, and I'm talking about circumcision, and you'll see and see how Christ has fulfilled it. This is the whole sermon, but I'm going to give you a little hint, and we can talk more later if you need to. We'll come back to it at some point. Um, Colossians 2, 9 through 12. For in him who Jesus. Now watch this. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The God-man. And you, believers, have been filled in him. Brought to fullness. You've been made complete in him. You're lacking nothing in him. Who is the head of all rule and authority. The King. King Jesus. Savior. In verse 11. In Him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. The fulfillment of it. Circumcision of the heart. Romans 2. We talked a little bit about that last week. By putting off the body of flesh. Now watch this. By the circumcision of Christ. Does that mean when Christ was a baby and he was circumcised that that somehow counts for me? No, he was fulfilling all righteousness. But circumcision, that cutting off what circumcision pictured was death of the covenant violator. So Christ endured a, a circumcision of being cut off for his people. He was circumcised on the cross. He was cut off. He died. Now watch. That all happened for you having been buried with Him in baptism. Here's union language like Romans 6. In which you are raised with Him through, the faith, through, through faith. Through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. So being united to Christ through faith in His death, burial, and resurrection. resurrection his circumcision or His death, His being cut off counts for us. Our sin penalty has been paid. We've been united to Him in His death, burial, and resurrection. Credited His righteousness. Accepted in God. See, circumcision was fulfilled on that cross when Jesus was cut off for us and purchased for us that new circumcised heart that is a gift through faith in Jesus. Circumcision is fulfilled and done away with in Christ. So we don't need to do it. One of the interesting things about this whole discussion is nobody ever says, and I think it's because we're talking about justification, but nobody ever says, come on, circumcision was the old covenant sign of the covenant. Baptism is the new covenant sign. We didn't circumcise them, we baptized them. End of discussion. Nobody ever says anything like that. Here, interesting Another thought process, another sermon. But what he's making clear, what they're making clear here is that justification by faith alone. We are made righteous with God, made acceptable to God through trusting Jesus alone. And then they say this, which is an interesting thing James says. He says, therefore, in verse 19, is, is, my judgment is that we should not trouble those who Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them. Now, listen, look at this list. To abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from what has been strangled, and from blood. For the ancient, from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read in every Sabbath in the synagogues. So what is James doing there? Why did he go there? Because that's an interesting list, isn't it? 
Well, you know that they lived in a culture of idolatry and there was a ton of idolatry going on and a lot of those things are happening in the context of idolatry. And what he's telling the Gentiles is, listen, you're justified by faith alone just like we are. But don't use your freedom to offend. Be sensitive to the Jews who are everywhere throughout the kingdom. Don't unnecessarily be an offense to Jews. Love your Jewish brethren. There's a lot of them in every city where the gospel is going who still are hearing Moses, who still are performing this, this ceremonial um, part of the law, and we don't want you to be an offense to them, but to be a light and salt to them. So it, it, he's, he's requesting sensitivity to the Jews, and we'll talk a little more about that later because this list is repeated in verse 29. But what we see them doing here is debating and discussing. Yes, they're looking into Scripture. They're coming to a conclusion that yes, Gentile and Jew are saved the same way. Justification by faith alone, just like Abraham was. And they're not being circumcised because that has been fulfilled. And so we can move on. But the gospel is protected. And we'll have more to say about that. But I need to wrap up. We're doing, we're doing communion today. Let me wrap up with a few, just with a question and clarification and we're done. Listen to me. Look at me. If you've been asleep up until now, wake up. Are you, I'm joking. I don't see anybody asleep, so I don't feel guilty. If you think I caught you, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> are you trusting in Christ alone for acceptance with God? For reconciliation? Or do you think you're in some way good enough that you have something to contribute that is Christ plus something. Christ plus anything won't save you. It's Christ alone or not at all. So I'm asking you, are you trusting in Jesus alone for acceptance with God? You may not know what these justification mean, these big words mean. They are Bible words. You need to know them. But is your faith in Jesus alone for acceptance with God? Do you believe, now listen to me, do you believe that Jesus was the Son of God, God-man who lived in perfect fulfillment of the law? Who died to pay the penalty for your sins? Who was raised from the grave the third day? Who has ascended and is reigning on the throne of heaven with all authority and is coming again someday? Are you trusting in that Jesus, the one who promises to give salvation and forgiveness as a free gift if you will trust Him? See, we're tempted to trust in something else. And even after we come to faith, the world, the flesh, and the devil tries to get us to trust in something else. For our joy even. Oh, look at you. How bad you are. You couldn't be a Christian. I have to add this to be saved. Well, I've got to clean up my act first and then I'll come to Jesus. Can't do it. Impossible. Stop trying. You just mess it up worse. I have to be baptized. No. He calls on those who trust him to be baptized, but not in order to be justified, but because we are through his death, burial, and resurrection. Your baptism, your good life, which honestly this is an offense to a lot of people. You don't have one outside of Jesus. Comparing ourselves with others, we're varyingly good, but none of us have kept the law and thought word indeed. All of our righteousness is filthy rags. Compare yourself with God's law. That's His standard. 
Have you ever lied? Have you ever cheated? Have you ever looked at a woman or a man with sexual desire who's not your spouse? Have you always and only worshipped God? I mean, no. So we see the law shuts our mouth, Romans 3, and tells us that we need a Savior. God in His grace works in us to be believed that, convicted of our sin, hatred, hate our sin, turn from it unto Christ and trust Him for eternal life. Are you trusting in Jesus alone? Secondly, do you see the importance of understanding biblical concepts like justification by faith alone? Parents, you must understand these things. How are you going to teach your children if you don't know what they mean? It's real easy to raise little Pharisees who make us look good. Well, maybe not so easy, but it's what we try to do. It's hard to make disciples, but that's what we're called to do. So show them their sinfulness and their need of a Savior and show them that Jesus is the only and all of the Savior so that they will turn and trust in Him. I give this to you again. I'm, you say, why are you repeating this? Well, can you repeat this? <laughs> this is important. So I'm going to just give you the definition and move on. But justification, what is it? Here's an answer that's a summary of what God's Word teaches. Justification is an act of God's free grace where He pardons all our sins. When you came to faith in Jesus, God pardoned all of your sins. Even the one you still bring up against yourself and you pester yourself with and the devil does. Justification is an act of God's free grace, free to us, costly to Him, where He pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in His sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Jesus, let me give you a couple quotes and I'm done. Here's R. Scott Clark. Jesus didn't come to make salvation possible for those who do their part. He came to accomplish it and give it freely to all of His people. Receive the gift by faith. Michael Horton. The law is due. The gospel is done. It is finished. Christ said. Justification by faith alone is the article upon which the church stands or falls. The early church protected it. Lose it and we lose the gospel. Lose the gospel and we lose the church and we will be left with a mere shell and there are a lot of shells out there. Trust in Jesus and Jesus has purchased your forgiveness for all of your sins. Your righteous standing before God's judgment throne. Your adoption into God's family as children of God. Your growth in grace until your last breath. When either He returns or you, are, you pass from this life and you'll be set free from sin, spirit glorified, Get a new body when He returns. Christ is Savior. That is truth. Rest in Him, not in you. That's the gospel the early church protected. We'll talk more about that as we move along. But let's pray before we celebrate communion together. 
Lord, I pray that every person listening to me in this church, from the youngest to the oldest, would either have now or have someday a testimony of trusting in Jesus alone, of knowing that they have eternal life, of assurance before you, and of living a life seeking to glorify you and grow in your grace. Lord Jesus, we praise you for living for us. We, th we praise you for dying on the cross and paying the penalty for our sins, for being circumcised, for being cut off. We praise you that you defeated death in the grave and came out, you are raised from the grave. We praise you that you are reigning to see your gospel go to the ends of the earth. And we praise you that you give salvation as a free gift. Help us to turn from self and sin and all things, other things and to trust in you and in you alone. Thank you for dying for our sins and for being raised from the grave and for giving us faith to trust you. Bless us to love you and to live for you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.